Welcome to the High Point Baptist Church Sermon Cast, expository Bible sermons from the preaching and teaching ministry of High Point Baptist Church in Larksville, Pennsylvania, for the glory of God and the proclamation of His Word. We thank you for listening. And now, High Point Baptist Church pastor-teacher, Pastor Matt Tarr. I feel, I confess, very vulnerable without the normal protective measure between me and you that it normally exists here. And um, nevertheless, I felt even less vulnerable behind a music stand, and so I thought that would never do. At least this is wood. So I invite you, if you have your Bibles, to turn to Matthew chapter 25 as I share just a few thoughts with you, wrapping up really our message from this morning. As you know, since last Sunday, really last Sunday morning and following into Sunday night and then this morning once again and tonight, we have been looking at this little series that we've called When Love Came Down at Christmas, of course, borrowing from that 19th century hymn in reference to the birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And what we want to look at and what we've been looking at is what that means for us when love came down at Christmas, how that ought to affect us who believe in the Son of God, who have received Christ's gift of salvation by grace through faith. And so the first consequence of love that had come down for Christmas for you and me that we looked at was that in our redemption, we love the world. And we pursue the lost world with the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ that saved us. Not according to the deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy. And regardless of the world's treatment of us, we expect the world to treat us in the same manner of treatment that they have treated our Lord. Because the servant is not greater than his master, we still show them kindness and mercy, and love. And Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, in order that they might see our good works and glorify God who is in heaven. They see a tangible, an obvious expression of our love for them. And they in turn, not understanding the nature of that love, glorify God. And very similarly, we are also to love one another, and that ought to be obvious to us. And by one another, we mean the local church, and that's what we looked at this morning. Because there are many, in fact, who would refer to themselves as Christians or call themselves Christians, but in reality deny and neglect and ignore the very body of Christ. And of course, that will not do any more than a confession of love without any form of action would ever do in any context, whether we're talking about a husband's love for his wife, parents' love for their children, and so on and so forth. It is hard to say, in fact, it is impossible to say that love exists where there is no action that defeats the very definition of love, which is dedication, means dedication, commitment, honor, respect, sacrifice, 
the standard to which we are one another, uh, to love one another is as we would even love ourselves. We care for one another first and foremost. And that finally led us then to our love for Christ itself. It was sort of a natural segue into these final thoughts for this evening. If we have truly received the love that has come down at Christmas, then we would love the world. We would have love for the local church. And we would, of course, have love for Christ. And so that's where we are in Matthew chapter 25. We established this morning that we have union with Christ as a local body. Christians have union with Christ. And that union is familial. It is a familial union. We read in Romans chapter 8, Paul says that we have been adopted as sons of God. We have been adopted as His children. And so we have a familial relationship with Christ. And in fact, in Matthew chapter 25, verse 40, we read that the king will answer and say to them, that is, those who belong to Him, those who love Christ, truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it even to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. Christ himself refers to those whom he purchased with his own blood as his brothers. And importantly, this is fascinating, but in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, the author there tells us that this love pre-existed the foundation of the world. And what that means then is that when Christ came down, when love came down at Christmas, sure, it was in order that He would purchase us, redeem us, adopt us as His children, again by grace through faith, However, he had in eternity past the view to come in order to adopt us as his children. He came to adopt us. He came as God incarnate, God in the flesh, God with us, in order to fulfill his desire and His purposes set in eternity past to adopt us as His children. And so we have a familial union with Christ, but we also have a spiritual union with Christ. And that is also why we refer to ourselves as the body of Christ. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 22 to 26 affirm that, as well as Ephesians chapter 4, verses 15 and and 16, we are part of the body of Christ in a spiritual sense, in a real mysterious spiritual sense. We are the body of Christ. And therefore, it is logical to conclude then that the one who confesses to love Christ must also love his body, the local church. And we would then understand that 
what you do to me and I to you as the body of Christ, we are in fact doing to Christ because of our union with Him. It is a logical sequence. And that sets up what Jesus talks about in Matthew chapter 5, verses 31 through 46, where we have now the second advent of Christ, the second coming of Christ. When Christ first came to the world, He came to bring peace. When Christ first came to the world, He showed His love for the world. John 3.16 affirms that. However, in the second advent comes, Christ will have accomplished His purpose in the world, and He will come to establish His millennial kingdom then. And in the establishment of the millennial kingdom, you have His judgment. And so we read in verse 31, But when the Son of Man comes in His glory, that is a title that affirms His incarnation. A title by which Christ has taken identity with mankind, ultimately expressing His humility, and gracious love for humanity. When He comes in all His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne, just like the angelic messenger promised to Jesus' mother Mary in Luke chapter 1, verses 31 to 33. In Luke chapter 31, verses 31 to 33, we read, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. And back in Matthew chapter 25 and verse 32, we then read, all the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats, and he will put his sheep on his right. And that was an understood Hebraism. And what that referred to was the one who was to receive the inheritance. When a father was about to die and he was going to give his children the inheritance, it would be the firstborn son that would have the inheritance rights. And so the firstborn son, he would place his right hand on his firstborn son and bless him. And so he'll put the sheep under his hand of blessing and the goats on the left. What happens next, you must understand, is permanent. When we die, we all enter into a permanent condition. 
And likewise, when Christ returns again in His second advent, we will enter in at that time into a permanent condition. The king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. That is an important statement. It's an important statement because... It brings clarification, lest the reader be confused then by the following actions that these are the means by which we inherit eternal life. But that can't be the case. Because Christ has planned and the Father has planned to bless His sheep from the foundation of the world before you could do any of these things. Before any of us could do any works of righteousness. So, therefore, how can it be possible that it is by our own meritorious work that we receive His blessing? And, of course, the answer to that is that it isn't. It is solely by His divine grace that He gives eternal life. It is by grace through faith that He gives eternal life. And therefore, it is not by these things in verses 35 and following that we inherit eternal life by no means, but they are the necessary fruit of eternal life. They are requirements. This morning they are things that should characterize us, we said, but not should as in, uh, in, in would, but should as in ought, or rather should, not should as in ought, but should as in do. Should as in do. They must characterize us because it is the natural result of regeneration. But since these are the things that have been prepared for us from the foundation of the world, they cannot be given us possibly by our own meritorious righteousness. And Jesus says in verse 35, For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Now again, you need to understand that love is not merely a matter of confession. This is not an affirmation of the so-called easy believism gospel where you just give some kind of cheap consent 
to the existence of God and that you need Jesus to give you his righteousness. And you say, as long as I believe that, then I've got my fire insurance. I'm safe from eternal torment and can persist in living whatever way I want. That denies the reality of regeneration. But true confession that Christ is Lord means that you are his servant. You have given yourself up as his slave because you recognize that he has purchased you with his own blood. But listen to the humility of those who are redeemed. Listen to this. There is a sense of humility that comes here. Listen to their honesty versus the dishonesty of those who make a confession about Christ or a confession of their love for Christ, but show no love for Christ by no, by their lack of commitment to the body of Christ. The people of God say, The righteous answering him say, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we see you a stranger and invite you in or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? Did they honestly not know? Because should the Lord return and rapture his church, or should we pass away and be reunited with him in glory, and he says these things to us at the time of his second advent when he returns to set up his millennial kingdom, well, we've read these things. We understand, verse 40, The king's answer, truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. We understand that. We intellectually get that. We we affirm the unity that we have in Christ, the fellowship that we have in Christ, that the local church is the body of Christ. So, of course, what we do for one another, we are doing on behalf of Christ. We are serving Christ when we serve one another. We are loving Christ when we love one another. So why then do we ask the question, when did we ever see you in need, Christ? was because we simply served one another in love and humility. It was natural to the redeemed to love and to show to one another the love with which Christ has loved us. And so in humility we respond with such a confession. When did we do that? We're just serving the church. We're just doing what you called us to do. We receive no praise for that. But, verse 41, there are many who believe that the God of the Old Testament is a different God than the God of the New Testament. 
The God of the Old Testament is a God of judgment. The God of the New Testament is a God of love. That is a false construction. We are talking about the same God, the eternal God, the all-knowing, all-powerful, infinitely wise, perfect God. And interestingly enough, the God of the Old Testament, the example that we see there, is usually a God of judgment in the temporal sense. We see God's judgment against nations. We see God's judgment against people for sin, for their rebellion, for lack the lack of love and dedication that He has called them to. But then in the New Testament, we begin to see a new emphasis in God's judgment from temporal judgment on a nation or nations to eternal judgment. And it's a little-known fact that Jesus himself speaks of judgment. In fact, no one in Scripture spoke more about judgment than Jesus did. And the judgment, again, that he talks about is a judgment that is eternal, a judgment that is perpetual, a judgment that is without end. And in the context here, we're talking about, much like Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in the very beginning of his ministry, in Matthew chapter 5 through 7, now we're at the very end of his ministry when Jesus is giving his Olivet Discord to his disciples after saying that you, you disciples are impressed by this temple in Jerusalem. You think all of this is great and they are struck with awe by the beauty and greatness and majesty of all of it. And he says, I tell you the truth, this whole thing will be turned to rubble, not one stone left upon itself. And the disciples are off naturally uh, surprised and they respond and say, tell us when these things are going to happen. And that launches them into this Olivet Discourse. And so at the beginning of Jesus' ministry and at the end of Jesus' ministry, he warns about those who say by confession that they love Christ, but by their actions deny that they love Christ. And here, the proof of your love for Christ is shown in what you do to the local church, his body. How you treat, how you express your love for Christ in his local body. And since Jesus is talking about an eternal, perpetual judgment that is coming in verse 41, the loving response for us is to warn those who give this cheap assent to their love for Christ. Acknowledge what Christ has done, say they love God, they love Jesus, affirm the truths of scriptures, and then act as though they couldn't care less about what happens to his body. Because verse 41, here's the warning of the eternal judgment against those people. He will also say to those on his left, Depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. Why? Well, for I was hungry, 
and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in naked, and you did not clothe me sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Like we said this morning, this is not a call to social work. This is specifically talking about our service and ministry in the church to the people of God. I mean, the context would inform us of that because of what we have already said about the church being the body of Christ. But more particularly and more strikingly, the context that Jesus is referencing here, the people to whom he is speaking, yes, the people of God, but remember the Olivet Discourse is in response to the disciples' question, when will these things happen. They want to know their eschatology. They want to know when Christ will set up His kingdom. And these are those who have not believed when Christ returned as quickly and as swiftly like a thief in the night as He came the first time in His first advent. He comes in His second. They were unprepared, caught unaware. Then, during the tribulation period, they get saved And then they experience the worst kind of turmoil and persecution from the world because they hate God and the the rebellion against Him is coming to full term. And God brings His judgment against the world. And these are people then who are giving sacrificially to one another, not out of their abundance, but out of their sacrifice. They're giving what they need to survive so that others may survive. Again, these brothers of Christ, the people who belong to God. But these people then say to themselves, I'll answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not take care of you? How How arrogant. How foolish. Really? Did you not understand? That the body of Christ had need? There is an obvious, remarkably obvious visibility of your love for Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, and in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 26, Paul writes, What is the outcome then, brethren? When you assemble, each one has a psalm, has a teaching, has a revelation, has a tongue, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. In other words, what Paul is affirming throughout this section of his letter to the church in Corinth is 
the use, the right exercise of our spiritual gifts in order to serve the body of Christ because the body of Christ has need to be built up for edification. And in chapter 13, verse 1, Paul says, If I speak with the languages of men and of angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. And so love governs our service and love motivates our service. Chapter 14, verse 1, pursue love. And remarkably, here's your seeker-sensitive church philosophy of ministry. You ready? You worship God, and you are consumed by his glory and your affections for him. And when the corporate church gathers together, you have an image of the eternal, glorious condition of Christ's church in which we are worshiping him and singing praises for, to him in all eternity. And you're consumed with him, undistracted, praiseworthy, worshipful, and thanksgiving psalms and songs that we sing to him, consumed in his presence. That's your seeker-sensitive philosophy of ministry. And you know what happens? The unregenerate come and they witness that and they realize, I'm not welcome. Because my worship is unacceptable to God. I am still a sinner in need of his grace. These people have a love and an affection that I don't know. Isn't that what verse 24 and 25 says? An unbeliever or an ungifted man enters. Who's an ungifted man? An unbeliever. Because all the church of Christ have been given gifts to serve his church. He is convicted by all. Do you see that? He is brought to accountability. His conscience is pricked. And he is crushed by the reality of his sin. Because he sees the body of Christ serving one another in love. He knows he doesn't have that love. He is called then as a witness to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so he will fall on his face and worship God, declaring that God is certainly among you. They realize this is not about them. And by your love, for one another, they are convicted of their sins. Yet for those who say they love Christ and have no love for the people of God, Christ says to them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did not do it to one of the least of these brothers of His, you did not do it to me. These will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Once again, 
just as our works of righteousness, our service in the body is not what makes us a brother of Christ, unites us with the body of Christ, so also uh, the lack thereof is not what prevents us from being a part of the body of Christ. John MacArthur says the marks of lostness Jesus mentions here are not gross sins committed, but rather simple acts of kindness not committed. And the reason these acts of kindness are not committed is because of a heart condition that does not love Christ. And that is what prevents you from entering eternal glory. Because you have not seen the love that came down at Christmas. And alarmingly, in the same way the sheep enter into eternal life, same word, the goats enter into eternal punishment. As we said in the beginning, when Christ comes in his second advent, what happens there is permanent. But the encouraging thing is that this isn't here to leave us in sorrow and without hope. Because it is all a simple, simply a matter of answering the question, do you love Jesus Christ? If you love Jesus Christ, you will believe in Him for salvation. If you love Jesus Christ, then you'll place your trust in the completed work that He has done for you to redeem you from your sins. If you love Jesus Christ, then you will serve Christ's body and these things will naturally be indicative of you. You will clothe Christ's nakedness, feed His hunger, give water to quench His thirst out of your love for Him. But if you continue to spite God, then the warning is as sure as His first coming was. And by the way, nobody denies His first coming. Not even the most renowned atheists of the world renounce His first coming. They all say Jesus was here. They all believe that Jesus existed. The issue is that they do not love Christ and therefore do not believe the word of Christ. But they all believe that Jesus was born. They all believe he was a man who existed. They all believe in his first advent. And in fact, the world mocks God because they say, well, 
isn't everything going to continue as they always have without realizing that to God a thousand years is as a day and a day is a thousand years? God isn't bound to time. And as sure as his first coming was, his second coming will be to bring his judgment. And so we would petition you to love Christ. Let's close in prayer. Precious Father, what a wonderful thing that we see in your testimony that you will return to reward those who have loved you, but also bring your just judgment against those who have rejected you. And we know, Lord, that there are those who continue to reject you, and we pray that they would come themselves to recognize and see that when you came into the world, you brought love into the world. You demonstrated perfect love, lived a perfectly righteous life, in order that while we were yet enemies, we could be reconciled to you through faith. Pray these things in your Son's name. Amen. You've been listening to the expository Bible teaching of our pastor-teacher, Pastor Matt Tarr, on the High Point Baptist Church Sermon Cast, and we pray you have been blessed by what you've heard. If you have any questions about the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, or if you would like to speak with someone concerning salvation through faith, please reach out to us right away. It would be a great joy and blessing to minister to you. Contact information can be found on our website. If you have any additional questions or comments regarding this sermon, would like to know more about our church, or would like to submit a prayer request, just visit us online at highpointbaptist.church. Additional sermons can be found on the SermonCast page of our website and may be downloaded or streamed free of charge. Our website again is highpointbaptist.church. Thank you again for listening. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Copyright 2018, High Point Baptist Church, All Rights Reserved.